I'm Brenda Semenoff. I'll be reading our Bible passage today, so if you grab your Bibles, we're reading from Luke 7, verses 36 to 50. Again, that's Luke 7, 36 to 50. My version is the New International Version, but uh, the words may be a little bit different up there or a little bit different in your Bible. So please stand for the reading of God's Word. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owned him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we ask with the psalmist, we pray with the psalmist, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, and we hear you extend an invitation to a 
really an enemy in many ways. May our hearts be open to what you have to say to your church this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, like I said, we had a great week traveling and, and uh, being back today. Actually got in last night, and so uh, here we are. <clears throat> a prophet, a parable, and a declaration of pardon. That's kind of the three things I want us to kind of see in this passage today. The, the prophet who is questioned, if this man were a prophet, he would know. A parable that's given, and it's a loving invitation to question one's assumptions, and a pardon that is declared, and a question of identity. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. I had uh, coffee with Sam Dick from Multiply, um, our, our uh, MB Missions uh, board this uh, last Thursday morning, and we ended up actually talking about this passage because he had preached on it recently too. And he's, and I was like, "Oh, that's funny. You're you're talking about a passage I'm actually preaching on this week." And he said, "Yeah, isn't it interesting in that very first verse that you've got Jesus being invited into the home of somebody who disagrees with him, and he goes." Right? We already kind of got a picture of, of where, where the Pharisees stand with Jesus, right? If we just go back, go back a, a, a chapter in, in the, um, the, the man with the withered hand, right? Chapter 6 and verse 11, Jesus on the Sabbath is in the synagogue and he's teaching there and there's a man with the withered hand and the scribes and Pharisees are watching him carefully. What's he going to do? What's he going to say? Can we catch him here? And then... He tells the man to stretch out his hand. He heals on the Sabbath. And it says, and then the Pharisees went out and they plotted how to get rid of him. So now here's a Pharisee inviting Jesus over for dinner. And Jesus goes. Jesus knows that this is, this is one of the guys that is not on board with his mission yet. Are, are we living in such a way? This is one of the things Sam, Sam kind of asked. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting question. Are we living in such a way that people who disagree with us are inviting us to dinner? And are we open to such an extent that we would go and have dinner with them? Are we open to enjoy just being together, reclining at the table together? You know, this goes back, you know, and if you think, think about it, this, this is just Jesus this is Luke telling us that Jesus is living out exactly what he just said. Love your enemies, do good to those, lend, uh, and lend without expecting anything return. Your reward will be great. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. You know, all of that stuff that, that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Level was about this kind of scenario. You know, Jesus has already told us, too, in, in Luke chapter 4, in his first sermon in the synagogue, the reason I came was to, to bring sight to the blind and healing, and, and the Spirit has anointed me to proclaim good news to those who are on the outside. And so all of this kind of comes together in this sermon, and, and this is one of Luke's patterns. You'll get, you'll get sick of this pattern, but you better get, like Luke's like, I hope you get it by the end of the book. <laughs> 
Religious leaders are the older brothers, like in the, in the, in the, uh, in the parable of the, of the two lost brothers and the extravagant love of the father, commonly known as the prodigal son. But it's two lost brothers, and the older brother says, why on earth would you welcome this sinful brother home? Why would you open your doors to him? He didn't really even say sorry all that much. My father's like, he's alive and I've welcomed him home, so why don't you just come to the party? And over and over we see this through Luke's gospel where Luke is saying, look at what has happened. He's writing post book of Acts too, where the multicultural, multi-ethnic people from all sorts of backgrounds have come together under Jesus and there's a big celebration for there is now neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, all are one in Christ. This is part of what Luke is tying. He's threading this all the way through. And with the older brother and with Simon here, note that the the conclusion is open-ended. We don't know how Simon reacted to this invitation of Jesus. But isn't it interesting that Luke sees fit to include his name? Why would Luke include his name? This is pure speculation, but it's potential that the readers knew Simon. This is Simon. He's, he's part of our family now. He, he understood this parable, but we're not told how he responded to it. In the book of Acts, we hear that many priests, Pharisees, come to Christ later on. But for the story here, it's open-ended and Jesus has extended an invitation. The door is open even to religious leaders and those who are so righteous and proud and arrogant and narrow-minded, Jesus still is inviting them in to be with him and to respond to him. And that's what this story is really about. It's the story of Simon and his response to Jesus. Now, what's his intention at the beginning? His intention is to, if this man were really a prophet, he would know who's touching him. And church history and interpretive history has filled in all the blanks for us so that we don't guess as to what kind of sinner this woman is, because we always seem to assume that if a woman's a sinner, it's sexual sin. And I think that says more about us than the woman. But we've, we kind of fill in the blank. You, you never kind of put that label over a man who's a sinner. So for some reason, we don't put prostitute on that. But church history has filled in the blanks for us. Now why do we fill that in? I think it's because we're a lot more like Simon. We're unable to see a person. We just see a sinner. This is the challenge Jesus has for Simon. Are you going to see beyond your religious categories or are you going to see a person? This woman is a sinner and Jesus doesn't deny that. She's what's in Greek a hamartolos. It's a value judgment. It's, it's, it's a term used as a value judgment on a class of people that they're inferior intellectually, morally. Rabbinic, in rabbinic thought, it's those who are outside of relationship with the law. Like, it's at the level of Gentile for them. 
And Simon's rehearsing this in his mind as he is seeing this sinner touching Jesus and carrying on and doing this extravagant act of, he doesn't know what this is, she shouldn't be doing this, is what he's thinking to himself, and Jesus surely shouldn't be allowing it. If this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now he's saying this to himself, and I love how Luke puts it next, and Jesus answered him. (laughs) Simon didn't say anything out loud. He didn't ask a question, but Jesus is answering his thoughts. I have something to tell you, Simon. Yeah, teacher, sure, anything. Then he tells him this parable. So Simon's already questioning the nature of Jesus and who he is. And then Jesus gives us a short little parable, one of the first parables in the Gospel of Luke. And we'll get into more parables later. Which of them loved him more? Here's the first question in the, in the whole thing. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed five, 100 denarii, the other 50, and that's about two years' wages and two months' wages. Both are considerable amounts, but one is unimaginable. Imagine two years of your gross income in debt. Imagine being that much in debt, outside of maybe your mortgage. Because I, <laughs> you know, I was listening to, to uh, I saw this thing on Dave Ramsey not too long ago, and he, he's like a financial, Christian financial guy, right? And, and he's pretty hardcore. And uh, he's doing this phone-in uh, radio show, and he's got this lady on the line saying, yeah, we need some help. We're about $2 million in debt. And he's like, how old are you? 28? How did you get into that much? Well, we have like all these student loans and we have both have advanced doctoral degrees and you know, we got married five years ago, so all of our debt together. And he's like, so which of you lost your mind or is it both of you? <laughs> you know, it's like car payments and this and that and the other thing. And you, you could just see the look on his face was like, are you joking? But sometimes we get into financial trouble and wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be nice if tomorrow you kind of woke up and the bank called you and just said, hey, by the way, that mortgage has been paid off. You're done. House is yours. Here's the deed. No more mortgage payments. Wow. That'd be eh, about 15. That'd be a lot of money a month, wouldn't it, dear? Like almost $1,800 a month, like not going out. Boy, we could live differently. But that's not happening anytime soon. We just refinanced at a higher interest rate. (laughs) 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 But wouldn't it be nice (coughs) if someone canceled all your debt? Now, which of them, and how would you respond to that? It would be a party, wouldn't it? And Simon gets this. He's like, yeah, well, I guess the one who got canceled the larger debt. And he says, hey, yeah, right on. You understand. And then he turns to the woman and continues speaking to Simon. Well, don't miss that. He's, he's not speaking to her at all yet. Now, now, in an ancient Near Eastern dinner, you would have a low table and you'd be uh, laying on the ground, basically, uh, on the left arm, your feet out, and the food would be in the middle. So you're not that far away from anybody. 
Now, whether Simon was across the table from, you've got to be in arm's reach of all the food, so the table's not like, you know, our tables are like four feet across or something like that. It's got to be closer than that. You're pretty close proximity when you're eating. And there's this woman at Jesus' feet, and he turns to her, which means he's not looking at Simon anymore. But he's looking at her, and he's saying, Simon, do you see this woman? Second question. Second question in the text. Do you see this woman? Well, what has Simon seen so far? He sees the sinner. Jesus sees a woman. Jesus sees a person. And then he goes on to enumerate all the things that she has done that, that Simon didn't do. And, and, and none of this is required stuff in ancient Near Eastern tradition. This is actually over-the-top stuff. Like if you were to do this, you, 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 you would normally pr, pr, you know, have a bowl and some towels for somebody to wash their own feet when they came into the house. But you wouldn't necessarily do it for them. This is, this is the over-the-top kind of stuff. All, all of this that Jesus has said, this is over-the-top. And he said, you, you, didn't, you didn't go out of your way to welcome me. But she has been an extravagant host to me. Radically extravagant host. You see, because here is Jesus seeing a woman, but he's also seeing, seeing her great love. He had asked the first question, which will love him more, agape, which will go out of their way to just show their radical thanks. This is what she's doing. And he's, again, he's not looking at Simon, and then he says the shocking thing, verse 47. Therefore I tell you, I tell you, Simon, Simon, are you listening? Persons, which are many, no denial of reality. Jesus doesn't say, oh, she wasn't that bad. She says, yes, she has many, many sins. They are forgiven. Perfect, passive, and the NIV actually translates this, I think, better. Have been. Perfect is a completed action in the past with ongoing results. This is something she has now that is ongoing. It's not because she has done these things for Jesus that she is forgiven. It's because this is an outflow of the fact that she already has been forgiven. And she's expressing this in this show of absolute love and devotion to Jesus. She is loving much. She is the one. She is the one with the greater debt, Jesus said. That's obvious. And Jesus continues, therefore I tell you, he who is forgiven little loves little. Simon, you don't have a big debt. You grew up going to church. You memorized all the verses. You went to seminary. You started working in the church. You're a good boy. You've, you've obeyed all the rules. You've, you've kept your nose clean. But you still need to come to me. There, there's still a debt in your life that is yet to be forgiven. And it's obvious that you don't see that yet because you don't love. You simply judge. It's so easy to point the finger and say, sinner, sinner, sinner. It's hard to say, sinner. 
she has loved much. You, Simon, have loved little. And he says to her, the only words Jesus says to her, your sins have been perfect, passive, forgiven. Perfect, passive, completed action with ongoing results that are done for you, not by you. Not a result of your action, but a result of someone else's action is the passive sense of the verb. Your sins are forgiven. I am forgiving you. And whatever debt that is outstanding will be paid by me. All of those many sins, Jesus is saying, I will pay for. And those who were at the table began to say amongst themselves, who is this that forgives, even forgives sins? And they've come up against this in the past as well, and they'll continue to struggle with Jesus claiming to have the authority to forgive sins. This was the, one of the first miracles that Luke recounted with the, the man being let down, the, the paralytic. But Jesus doesn't even address that question. He just simply says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Perfect, active, indicative. Has saved. Completed action with ongoing results. Therefore, go. Present imperative. This is the only command in the passage. Go in peace, in wholeness, in newness of life, and live in the reality of your freedom and your forgiveness declared by Christ. Because that's what Jesus saw when this woman first touched him, is he didn't see a sinner, he saw a forgiven woman. But I bet you she needed to hear it. And Simon needed to hear it too. Her love was a response to the reality, and Jesus reaffirms her, he solidifies her identity as forgiven, not broken as restored, not alienated, as welcome, not rejected. And through all of this, Jesus is inviting Simon to rethink what it means to have a relationship with God. You're, you're, you're off to a good start, Simon. You've judged correctly. The one who has the greater debt will love more. But even you who has the lesser debt still needs to walk in forgiveness and respond to, my, to the gospel. It's an invitation for Simon to ask himself, what is my debt that I cannot repay? The door is open, Simon. As a religious leader, as someone who is righteous, who is proud, who is actually arrogant and narrow-minded, my door is still open to you if you would just see your need, your sin, and come to me with love and devotion. The prophet, he sees... The prophet sees you. He knew this woman, and he knew Simon's heart too, and he knows each of our hearts. Know this today that the prophet sees you, whatever is in your heart and whatever level of debt you have, and he invites you 
to come to him because he is the one who will forgive your debts and set you free. That's what the parable invites you to do. The prophet sees you, the parable invites you, and the pardon frees you. The pardon frees you. Your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. Let's pray. Lord, there's so much more in this passage, but we'll come back to these themes over and over. Thank you for inspiring Luke to write this masterpiece that continually calls us to back to you. That no matter how big our debt or how little our debt, we still need it forgiven. And so Lord Jesus, I ask that anyone here who has just been sitting on the sidelines and maybe doesn't, doesn't feel forgiven, knows that there is this massive debt of sin and, and they wonder whether they're acceptable to you, would hear in this story someone who was a known and notorious sinner in her town and yet is welcomed by Jesus and he says, I love you, I forgive you, I want you to be at peace. And then there's those of us who are like Simon and when we look at others, we see sinners. People who get it wrong and we're judgmental and we're arrogant and we're narrow-minded. Lord, break through our stubbornness and our pride so that we can just see the people that you love, that you have paid for their debts as well as ours. And to be in debt is to be in debt, and it doesn't really matter the amount. We all need the freedom that you offer us. And so, Lord Jesus, fill us with humility. Help us to see in ourselves those things that need forgiving. And help us to come to your feet in extravagant worship knowing that you are the one who sets us free, knowing that you are the one who sees us at our most sinful because you're the prophet who sees us. You're the master who invites, who forgives our debts. And you offer us the pardon we desperately need. And so, Lord Jesus, would we come to you this morning, humbly surrender, and fully worship you, who knows us at our worst and loves us anyway. In Jesus' name we pray.